The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you'll take your copies of God's Word, turn with me to the uh, book of Genesis. You'll find your way in that book to Genesis uh, chapter 5 and then down to verse 19. I mean 18, excuse me. Well, I always am uh, overcome with the challenge and the responsibility and the privilege of preaching God's Word on the Lord's Day morning and evening. And that that shows up in many ways. And one of those ways, of course, is nerves. <laughs> and one of my nerves on this one is that, um, well, let me back up over here a little bit. I, I love biographies, period. I, mean, I just I think they're extraordinary uh, way to study history, the way to study people, the way to learn. And then to maybe get some of you started into biblical biographies. So what I want to try to do is give you a I'm calling it portraits. These biblical biographies, I'm calling them portraits. And the first one is a biblical biography and portrait of Enoch. Now, we want to get the right Enoch. There's one that comes from Cain. We don't want him. Uh, there's another Enoch, and that's the one that comes from Jared. And that's the one we're going to be studying, and hopefully you will have some benefit from it. I've actually done some work in Enoch before, and uh, so it was uh, three sermons, and it's now being distilled into tonight's one sermon. And I can, so I went back and rearranged everything, and I am hoping and praying that this, um, and I've just asked the Lord, Lord, let me do this, not only so that you will profit, but also so that you might get interested in this matter of biblical biographies. Now, there is a movement in the evangelical church against preaching biblical biographies, the notion is, well, when you preach biographies, you're focused on an individual, you lay them out, and you end up with dare to be a Daniel sermons, or, um, or be like Joseph, or something like that. And one writer called it the killer bee sermons. Be like, be like, be like, be like. And, um, you know, and that gets a little traction with people, but personally, I think that is maybe right-hearted, but it's wrong-headed, that's for sure. Uh, and I tried to give you the reasons why biographies are, pro are profitable. Number one is this. They're in the Bible. As I, gave, as I gave you last week, 349 of them are in the Bible. Only 67 finished strong. But here are these studies, all of these biographies. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and is... so. If God's put 347 biographies, there may be a reason. And they would be profitable, wouldn't they? For what? For doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For training in righteousness. Well, pastor, that means you're going to get into moralistic preaching. Be likes. Well, uh, I, um, let me say this. 
There is a difference between biblical morality and moralisms. Moralism is a, another gospel. It's an anti-gospel. It is no gospel. It is the notion that we have the ability to change our life and that we can be pleasing to God and have success in life through what we do. That's another gospel. That's a work salvation. That's not true. But in Christianity, there is a morality. God gives ethical imperatives to us. He gives commands to us that are supposed to shape our lives. Which then means the way you keep it from becoming moralisms is you don't point people to themselves as having the ability to embrace this way of life. You point people to Christ. It is Christ that made Daniel. It is Christ that did his work in Joseph. And you're going to see how Christ was at work in Enoch. Then you're going to see Enoch's life, which is what Christ did in him. To him and through him and what he can and will do in you through you. And you'll see areas where Enoch had not surrendered to Christ or other studies. It's going to be hard for me to find some on Enoch, but I'll find some from some of the other folks where they did not walk with the Lord as they ought to in every way. And I'm sure Enoch was not perfect himself. So we can learn from those areas of how people who were fixed on Jesus. Jesus were uneven and imperfect and faltered, but yet the Lord was always patient to keep working with them. And then a third way is not only do they point us to Christ because Christ is the origin of this transforming life and then they're living unto Christ. But Christ is their and Christ is their strength. That's why, you know, folks uh, over here, up here, when we have new members and baptismal baptismal vows, I just there is a phrase that we have from the word of God theologically that I love dearly in humble reliance upon divine grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will endeavor. And there you see sanctification. A hundred percent engagement and a hundred percent dependence upon the Lord alone who can give us the strength to do it. So as we learn about these things, we're pointing to Christ with humble reliance upon divine grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet we endeavor to embrace this way of life because they come from the commands of the Lord. It is a biblical morality, not a moralism that what we're going to do to be right with God, but a morality that comes in the lives of those who are dependent upon God and right with God. And then thirdly, so many times, just like tonight, There will be areas of their life in which they become a type of Christ to point us to Christ. And those are the things that I love to see as well. So I want you to look with me in Genesis now. Look with me in Genesis. There are three passages that speak of Enoch in your Bible. Genesis 5, uh, beginning at verse 18, and Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, and Jude 14 and 16. Look with me here in Enoch, I mean in Genesis, chapter 5 and verse 18. When Jared, that's Enoch's father, when he had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. You know, I looked at that and he, he was 162 year olds and had a baby boy. 
I showed that to Cindy this week when I was studying, and that didn't impress her very much. Um, so when Jared had lived uh, 162 years, he fathered Enoch, and Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he didn't wait 162, 65. When he lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we're going to start right there. We're going to go to the other two passages. And I have done, Robert Candlish, I can just start telling you the commentaries that I've consulted and um, and the various commentators, it was absolutely astounding how many of them had the same outline. And I decided all of these godly men, so many of them had the same outline. I won't try to improve upon it. When you go to those three passages, it kind of sets itself up. Here's your here are your outlines. Enoch walked with God. That's number one. Number two, Enoch witnessed for God. Enoch witnessed for God. Number three, Enoch went to God. So there's your three. Enoch walked with God. Enoch witnessed for God. Enoch went to God. And all three are interdependent and they build on each other. They're all three important. He walked with God, so he was a witness for God. He witnessed for God, and he walked with God, therefore he went to God. They worked together. So what are we, what do we find out about this walking with God? It's an interesting phrase. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. That's a phrase that's only used four times. Now there are other phrases that are similar to it, but it's only used four times in your Bible. And by the way, two of them are for Enoch. Two of them are right here with Enoch, and two times in these verses it says Enoch walked with God. But it also tells us Noah walked with God. And the Bible also tells us that Levi walked with God, the great priest in Malachi. You'll find the phrase used there as well. It's only used four times. Two of them are speaking of Enoch. So what does it mean? What does it mean that he walked with God? For 300 years. Not 30 minutes. One of my favorite definitions of around a golf is it's an excuse to have a four and a half hour walk with three friends. 300 plus years. He walked with God. So what does this mean? He walked With God. Well, let me suggest a couple of things. 
It suggests that he walked with God because he loved God. That's a relational statement. He walked with God. If I walk with someone, if you're walking along and I come up alongside of you and put my arm around you or take your arm or you take my arm, we are walking with each other. To walk with someone is to have a relationship to some degree of intimacy. And if you've walked with someone 300 years, what kind of intimacy is that? He walked with God. Note the intimacy. Note the relationship. But when you walk with God, you walk with God in the direction God takes the walk. Why could he walk with God? Not only because of his relationship, his delight in God, but because where God was leading is where he wanted to go. Now, folks, this is it's getting pretty obvious. At least it was for me in my study. My walk with God is not as consistent and intimate as it ought to be because there are so many times sin sells me a bill of goods and I'd rather walk over there. I like the way, oh my goodness, I think it was Alexander White. No, it was Charles Spurgeon on Enoch. Charles Spurgeon says, when we don't walk with God because sin has taken hold of our affections and we started walking somewhere else, part of what we're saying to God is, you're not enough for me. And I'm dissatisfied with you. That's what you're telling them. Well, you can obviously see how I and my own preparation this week saw how those things kind of coincided pretty directly with what I was preaching on from Luke 14 this morning. I'm telling God, I'm dissatisfied with you. I think there's something over here that's better. My attention and affection is drawn somewhere else. So how do you walk with God? And, you know, some of us are looking at this and we're saying, okay, Harry, for crying out loud, he's seven generations from Adam. He's seven generations from Adam. Walking with God, big deal. Where else is he going to walk? It's not like he's got a lot of choices. I mean, they're probably living in a cave, aren't they? What is there to draw him away? Well, here's what's really interesting. We are told that Enoch is how many generations away from Adam? He's seven. And we're also told that through Cain, there's one that was seven generations away. His name was Lamech. And he was a murderer. He celebrated violence. He celebrated immorality. He celebrated murder. He celebrated oppression. He celebrated violence. He wrote songs, epics of him as the hero of rebellion against God. And he was the big guy in the culture. And right alongside of him was Enoch. Over here is the line of Cain, the seed of the serpent. Over here is the line 
of God's blessings, the seed of the woman. The first one had been killed, Abel. And then the Bible tells us that God gave the woman another seed, and that was Seth. And now seven generations, we've got Enoch here and Lamech here. But all around, it's going down. The cultural death spiral. Violence, murder, the culture, the head, the the culture is in the hands of Lamech. Go see. He controlled the manufacturing. They controlled the music. They controlled the entertainment. They controlled everything. But over here was Enoch walking with God. Not because it was common in the culture. It was very uncommon. Not because it was invited by the culture. On the contrary, he is in, he is a countercultural uh, individual. And in fact, it is so obvious that he is going to have a son. And that son is Methuselah. And then Methuselah is going to have a son, another Lamech. And he's going to have a son. And his name is Noah. And in that period of time, it says that the daughters of Men, that's the seed of the serpent, intermarried with the daughters, with the sons of God. In other words, there was not only apostasy in the line of Cain. I mean, I'm sorry. There was not only depravity in the line of Cain. There was apostasy in the line of Seth. And it all happened in the watch and in the lives of the people after Enoch went to God. But you can see how that momentum would have been there, can't you? But he is walking with God. It's not popular. And you know, you say, well, pastor, again, I mean, well, hold it. Wait just a minute. Do you have a Bible to tell you how to walk with God? Remember, I don't do trick questions. Bruce does. I don't. Do you have a Bible? That gives you the light on the path to walk with God? Do you have the Spirit of God poured out to help you? In the glories of the new covenant? Do you have the light of His Word? The power of His Spirit? Enoch had no Bible. There was no special revelation. I mean, his best shot was, thankfully, for about... 50, 60 years of his life, he had a shot at Adam. Adam, could you tell me some things that God said? That was his only shot at special revelation. You got 66 books of God's word, inspired, inerrant, and infallible. You have the spirit of God from the risen Christ who has been poured out, who, who seals you into the covenant of grace. He didn't have that. Not like you've got it. Yet he walked with God. He had an entire culture that was going into a death spiral that was so evil that God is going to look at it and say, their thoughts and their actions are evil only, always, continually. I am grieved that I made man. And I am going to bring a universal flood for a universal judgment upon all of humanity except the grandson of Enoch and his family. And I'm going to bring that upon them, or the great-grandson, excuse me. So here is, in the midst of this, God identifies the path. Enoch walks with God, the path of God. 
And why does he do that? How does he do that? Because he's right with God. How, Harry, how do you know he's right with God? Because he got converted. In fact, I think I know when he got converted. It's the same time that I see a lot of people get converted. When he had a child. Somehow that has a sobering effect on people. Go back with me to that chapter 5. When Enoch had lived, uh, verse 23, uh, 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Next sentence. Enoch walked with God. When? After he fathered Methuselah. There he's born again. That's all I can see. There he now lives by faith. And I know he lives by faith because I got a passage of scripture that tells me he lives by faith. Would you take your Bibles, hold your finger there and go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me down to verse five. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse five. Well, we're in, um, it says this, by faith, by faith, what? Enoch, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken up. In other words, remember, he walked with God and was no more. Now, Hebrews calls that getting taken up. So he would, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. That's interesting, isn't it? How many people, the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. How many exceptions are there to that basic biblical fact and God's sovereign work? How many exceptions are there to that? Anybody tell me? There's two. Anybody tell me who they are? One's a giveaway. Enoch. Elijah. That the Lord took him up into his presence. Same the same words. He translated him. He transposed him. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the old Trekkie group. You know, Scotty, beam me up. Uh, I mean, just gone. There he is, gone. Do you remember what they did when Elijah, they couldn't, he just was no more. God took him up. Do you remember what they did? They sent out 70 warriors to find him, 70 strong men to find him. And they never found him. So, sorry, he's just not there. <laughs> They've looked everywhere because the Lord had taken him. Well, it looks like, you know, we're not told they took 70 warriors, but it looks like they went out to try to find Enoch. Now, that would be understandable because Enoch walked with God with a big family. Big family. I mean, you know, when you're living hundreds of years and you're not, I mean, you've got brothers, you've got sisters, you're an uncle, you're, you're an uncle, you've got all these nephews, you've got all these nieces, you've got all of this, you've got your own kids, and you I mean, hundreds of years, he, he had Methuselah, he's got another 300 years to have sons and daughters, and so he's got this gigantic family that he is raising um, in the Lord as he walked with God, and he's got this family, you know, all of a sudden, he gets up one morning, he goes outside. Whatever he's going, whatever Enoch, what all, what all he had on his calendar that day, and then he doesn't come home. You know they sent out people for him. But notice what Hebrews says. 
they could not find him. But that's not all it says. It says that he was no more and he was not found because why? God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was, I don't know how God did this. I don't know whether he may have had a ceremony. I don't know whether he made it public. But I do know the Lord did this. Before he was taken up, we are told he was commended as having pleased God. Well, that tells you he's a man of faith. Notice what it says next. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, that is, walk with God, must believe. Whoever would walk with God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, why is that? So how do I know he was converted? Because he walked with God by faith. Faith doesn't come from us. Faith comes from God to us to be exercised by us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this life of faith has its origins not in Enoch, but in God's grace that converted him Looks like after he gave birth, after they gave birth to Methuselah, and then he began to walk with God in intimacy by whatever revelation he had in general revelation and whatever special revelation had been left over from any oral traditions through Adam. And then because we haven't yet got the first author of scripture, do we? Moses. So we don't have the first books of the Bible yet. And so he has this word of God from general revelation and whatever comes through oral traditions. He has the spirit of God. He has to have the spirit of God because he couldn't have believed without being born again. And you're born again by what? By the spirit of God. So if you're born again by the spirit of God, then you've got the spirit of God so that you now believe in God and the promises of God. And he's walking with God. And as he's walking with God, God commends him. And sometime after his commendation, God takes him. I don't know all that he did and why he did when he took him. I love the way I want to recommend two books to you. I don't think I've told the bookstore yet, so don't go jump on them yet. I'll be in so much trouble. But if you get interested in biblical characters, John Brown of Haddington wrote a wonderful called Brown's Dictionary of Bible Characters. It is really interesting. And then you got some multiple volumes of Alexander White. Alexander White, Bible Characters. And by Alexander White, the great Scottish preacher, um, I just absolutely love him. He is so insightful in the way he words things. One of my favorite moments of Alexander White is they invited him to hear a young Scottish preacher that they said is going to be the next Alexander White. So Alexander White sitting there listening to the next Alexander White. And there's the high pulpit. And the guy just bounds up the pulpit to preach. Just full of himself. <laughs> 
And he gets started and he catches Alexander White's eye and he begins to realize the magnitude and he starts to stumble and he loses his pages and his notes drop off. And finally, he just kind of gets the thing closed and he slumps back down the steps from the high pulpit as he just with bowed head slumped his way back down. Somebody asked Alexander White, what did you think of the new preacher? And Alexander White said, I, he's a fine lad. He has some extraordinary gifts. Well, Dr. White, what did you think of the sermon? I, I would just say, if he had gone up to the pulpit the way he came down the pulpit, then he could have come down the pulpit the way he went up the pulpit. He had an amazing way with his words. And in this one, he just, he makes this absolutely insightful comment. He says, I don't want to over-personify God. But it's like God had said, I've given all of you, Enoch, long enough. Come on home, son. And he was no more. As he was now with the Lord. And he becomes one of only two people that don't go through, that we know of, that don't go through the separation of the soul from the body. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. He goes immediately from here without the separation of the soul and the body. And he also doesn't go through something else, which is what? The reunification of the soul and the body. Harry, why is that a big deal? Here's what the Bible says. How many of us are going to appear before the judgment seat? According to the Bible. All of us. For we must all appear. Now, thankfully, if you're in the book of life, then your judgment is for stewardship and rewards. Because Jesus has already taken your judgment for salvation. You're in the book of life. You're in the Lamb's book. But we all must appear. And how do we appear? Job tells us. The Bible tells us you will appear before God in your flesh. God will raise every body. Some to everlasting judgment, some to everlasting life. We all will appear not as a disembodied soul. Everyone will have a resurrected body that is designed for eternity, either eternal punishment or eternal life. Elijah and Enoch never have the separation of the soul from the body. And Elijah and Enoch never had to go through a reunification because their bodies were already translated. Already had put on immortality. Had already done that. I'm off subject now a little bit, but let me just kind of, I find this very interesting. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, who's there with him from heaven? Moses and who? Elijah. How did they get there? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. Elijah has his glorified body. That doesn't surprise us. What about Moses? Well, the Bible tells us that Michael had a job to do. Go get Moses' body. 
So the reason Moses has got a glorified body and the reason that Elijah's got a glorified body is because both of them had been brought into the, their bodies had already been brought into the presence. In other words, they already have gone through what our bodies are yet going to go through. But then again, Enoch becomes an encouragement to us because when you study him, guess what? Guess what? He now becomes an encouragement to us. It becomes encouragement to us in that he now goes into the presence of the Lord without disengaging in death and without having to put on, but has his body that is given immortality. It is given eternality. It is given all that is supposed to be given in its trans, in its, uh, in, as its transferred and as this is done to him and what does that tell us that tells us that if you are still breathing when Jesus comes back what happened to Enoch will happen to you without separation of soul from body and with the catching up of you in your body it will be brought into eternity with a new body for a new heavens and a new earth. And God's given us two examples of it to encourage us with Elijah and with Enoch. And now, so here we see all of this about Enoch and that he is with the presence of the Lord. But I want us to say one more thing, and that is go with me to uh, Jude. Because Enoch not only walked with God, Enoch witnessed for God. Enoch, that was his calling. That was his vocation. He was a witness for God. So first of all, he walked with God and he was no more. Praise the Lord. Um, Brothers and sisters, Enoch did not change vocation. He only changed location. Instead of walking with God by faith, God brought him home. And he walked with God by sight, no longer by faith. But now look at Jude. Go to verse 14. It was it was also about these. Would you underline these? It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all, all of the ungodly, of all of their ungodly deeds that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken about him. They're grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. In other words, what what was what what did um, he not do? He not only walked with God, he was a witness for God. What was his job? He was a prophet. Enoch was a prophet. So now, while Enoch did not receive special revelation from others, Enoch was an instrument of God, not for the canonization of Scripture, but for the proclamation of the word of God. In fact, you're given one of his sermons. God is going to come in judgment and he's going to execute judgment against all of those who are against him. Ungodly sinners who in an ungodly way, in ungodly purposes, embrace their ungodliness. Did y'all get the sense that he kind of was repeating this ungodly thing? 
In other words, living without reference to God. That he and he gave this sermon and said, there's payday someday. He will come with the myriads. He will come with the tens of thousands and he will come to bring judgment. So he walked with God. But my guess is he was not a very popular man in the culture. You don't go preach judgment and calling those around you. You don't preach judgment and calling those around you ungodly sinners who need to repent for their ungodly sin, their ungodly way and their ungodly purposes and their ungodly manner. People do not throw parades for such men. But he was faithful to the Lord. Yes, he walked with God. He was right with God. He had been converted. He went in the same direction with God. He went God's way. He walked with intimacy and personal with God. He wasn't a recluse. He was out in the culture preaching. He likely was what today we call a street preacher. And he had a message of repent and get to God because God is coming in judgment for all of those who stand against him. And in this witness, the context was a culture that was going into degradation. The line of uh, the line of the woman, the seed of the woman line was beginning to apostatize. And in the midst of it, his content was a call to all to repent of their sins. And he did this with a big family. He had he had a big family. He was part of a big family and he had a big family. In fact, he would have what? Methuselah. Who's Methuselah? Don't say the oldest man. He can't be the oldest man. Remember, Enoch was taken. Enoch right now is somewhere around 5,000 years old. Methuselah didn't get close to that. Go back and read Genesis 5. Hear it time and time again. He lived, died. Lived, died. Lived, died. Lived, died. Seventh generation. Lived, and God took him. He walked with God as a man, as a father, as a husband. He walked with God as a faithful prophet, proclaiming the word of God. And then thirdly, he went to God. He went into the presence of God. God took him. They couldn't find him. And he was no more. Notice it's given to you in the negative and the positive. It says that he walked with God and he was not. Then it gives you to the positive. He walked with God and was not. Why? Positive. For God took him. I am about to say something and this is where... I, I try to stay away from doing this, but I, I've just got to do it. I can almost see it. 300 plus years, he walks with God. He prophesies and preaches in a culture that is going into apostasy, in the covenant people, and depravity in those in rebellion. Yet he keeps walking with God. 
every day. And one day in the intimacy of walking with God, following God, with the light that he had, drawing near to God, walking with God by faith. Could it be possible? God says, this is wonderful. Come on home. And he took him. Oh, I know God had a sovereign plan. It wasn't an off-the-cuff. It wasn't arbitrary. I know all of that. But he translated him. He translated him into the presence of God. There's a passage that kind of tells you how to translate that word translation. If you've got your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 7, and then we'll close with this. Go with me to Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's sermon. And um, what I want you to do is to go look down with me to verse 15. And Jacob, that's one of the patriarchs, Jacob went down into Egypt and he died. He and our fathers. And they carried and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Amor in Shechem. Harry, why'd you read that? Here's that passage that translated. They were carried back. They were carried to. That's the same word. Enoch, by the sovereign hand of God, bypassing death, bypassing a resurrected body, had a translated body, and he was carried into the presence of God. I also think that just a couple of thoughts. Let me give you just two final thoughts on this. Is that he does point us to Christ. How? He lives. He walks with God. And it says. God was pleased with him. Does that sound familiar to you? all Who else walked with God besides Noah and Enoch and Levi? Jesus. And two times, what does the father say? This is my son. In whom I am well pleased. And then his son was resurrected. And taken to glory. So Enoch begins to be a pre-incarnate prophet. Pointing to Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. In his triumphant atonement, resurrection, and ascension. The one who pleased God for us. To save us from our sins. But there's something else I want you to see. I want you to see that he's an encouragement to you. Enoch walked with God. God's pleasure was upon him as it is upon you if you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And when you go to be with the Lord. Now, if we're still living when Jesus comes back, we'll be like Enoch. We'll just skip death. But if we're not, unless God attempt, unless God decides to add to the number of Enoch and Elijah, you're going to die. And I'm going to die. But God's given me Enoch to remind me. 
I'm walking with him by faith. And when I die, I don't just die. I go through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you just as he was with Enoch and brought him into his presence. So he will be with you to bring you into his presence. All of us will meet God in a resurrected body. Some of us will go straight from here to be with him if we're living when he comes again. But all of us, when we go to be with him will go through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, I'll be with you every day. Well, I'm going to close in prayer, but uh, before I do, obviously I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to go and be with the Lord? To be ready to go to be with him. Now be a witness for him. To be a witness for him, you need to walk with him. These three are inseparable. It's when we walk with him that we have the courage and the compassion to be a witness for him. And then when we are walking with him and a witness for him, we will go, we will go to be with him. Just like Enoch went to be with him. And then we don't change vocation. We only change location. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these moments that we could be together and just take these three passages and this one man and begin to learn in this portrait of the work of grace from Jesus in him, how he points us to Jesus How he points us to Jesus as the foundation and the pinnacle of our life. And how we are to walk with you because of Jesus in your spirit, guided by your word, with personal intimacy. And then we embrace our calling to bear witness for Jesus in this world. And then we look forward to that glorious day when we will be with our Jesus. So, Father, you know I need to pray this, and I want to pray this, and I pray this not only to you, but as I pray to you, I would invite those who are here. If they've not yet come to Christ, then today is the day of salvation. By faith, saved by grace, through grace. And then to walk by faith in the Spirit guided by the word, to walk with you. So, Father, if there's anyone here who has not yet come to Christ, would you this day bring them? 
And for all here who know Christ, would you give us lives that delight in you? And there's no greater joy than to walk with you in this world on the way to be to be with you forever. So as we're walking to you by walking with you, help us to be a witness for you. Give us the courage. Give us the conviction. Even as Enoch was in a desperate time, so desperate it would lead to a universal judgment. Help us to be ready to say the hard things, just like he did in his sermon. That ungodliness will be judged. But you can believe and repent. There is a God who has sent his son to take that judgment for you. Help us to be faithful to take that good news to this world. And as we walk with you and witnesses for you, we look forward to the day to be with you. Lord, we are not afraid of death. But for many, there's anxiety about dying. May Enoch be a comfort. As he walked with you, witnessed for you, and went to be with you. And you will be with us to bring us to your presence. Because you're our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.